Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Здравствуйте. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to World Footprints. We're the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and Ian and I are having a wonderful time here in Sochi, Russia, as the city plays host to Russia's first-ever Paralympic Games. And we continue to be inspired by stories of courage, tenacity, and strength. And you'll hear some of those stories today. Thanks, dear. As Tanya mentioned, we're here in Sochi as we come to you from the coastal cluster, home to the Olympic and now Paralympic Park. Hundreds of people are gathered here for the start of the competition today as we stand in front of the Paralympic Cauldron, which we saw lit in dramatic fashion during the opening ceremony just days ago. The music in the background is part of a water show at the base of the cauldron, which towers over the park here, keeping hundreds of fans entertained and amazed. And we hope you'll be amazed, too, by the sacrifices and hard work of world-class athletes. But behind every successful athlete who makes it on the international stage, there's a strong family support system. We'll talk to Deb Jallen, the mother of World Cup champion Alpine skier Stephanie Jallen, about what it takes to raise a Paralympic champion. A lot of things. It's a combination of balance. Um, balance is huge. Uh, but, um, you know, between me working, her going to school, she'll be graduating high school this year, and then she's got college coming up. The sport of skiing can be challenging enough for able body athletes, but imagine skiing down a black diamond alpine run with only one leg and one arm. We will introduce you to World Cup champion skier Stephanie Jallen, who will be skiing for Team USA on just one ski as she races for the gold. I'm trying to keep a level head about it right now because I know if I'm to wrap my head around it, I'll go absolutely insane waiting to leave. So I'm just um, I'm focusing on being prepared, getting ready. There's a lot of different things I'm going to need to bring with me. The USA hockey team didn't bring home a gold medal in the 2010 Vancouver Olympic Games, and they just missed the mark in Sochi. However, the U.S. Paralympic hockey team did earn a gold medal in the 2010 Vancouver Paralympic Games, and USA Paralympic team member Nico Landeros hopes to help Team USA repeat a gold victory in Sochi. Our, our goal is always to be in the gold medal game, and uh, that's all we can really ask for. Um, you know, sure, we want to win a gold medal, but we got to get there somehow, so we want to win every game before that, and, and then... You know, we got to show up for the, for the show. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. We always hear about the sacrifices and determination that successful athletes make, but behind every world-class athlete is a strong family foundation. Deb Jallen knows firsthand about what it takes to raise a champion. She is the mother of a World Cup alpine skier who will be racing for the gold in her first Sochi Paralympic Games. Deb, thank you so much for joining us today on World Footprints. 
Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Big congratulations to your daughter, Stephanie, for bringing home two gold medals, I understand, from the World Cup. How excited are you? Very excited. It's nice to see she continuing to hold her momentum uh, moving forward. And, you know, although she was nominated and accepted and she's going to Russia, she that doesn't slow her down. And she continues to challenge herself and push herself, be the best she can be. Well, I, I'm sure she has a lot of uh, encouragement from her family. What what are her events? I believe she's competing in three events in Russia. Actually, she just found out she was originally competing in slalom and giant slalom, and she just found out on her 18th birthday while she was out in Athens when she earned the two golds in the Noram races that she was going to. She's also competing in a total of four disciplines out of the five: uh, super uh, G and super. Combined Holy and cow. Long, long. So the four events are, yeah, how about that for an 18-year-old, you know, competing in the Paralympic Games for the first time in her life, you know, competing in five, four disciplines out of the five. There's a lot of sacrifices that world-class athletes make, um, but there's not a lot of known about the sacrifices that a family makes. What does it take, Deb, to raise a champion? Well, um... A lot of things. It's a combination of balance. Um, balance is huge. Uh, um, you know, between me working, her going to school, she'll be graduating high school this year, and then she's got college coming up, um, all the traveling, um, you know, between schoolwork and, you know, balancing that, that um, the competitions and traveling, it's it takes a lot, uh, and then we have to have the fundraisers as well. We have uh, locally, uh, her community has supported her since day one. We're into our ninth year of standing behind Stephanie and having um, local events uh, to raise funds for her to be able to um, continue to compete and travel and the equipment and uh, pretty much pay for all of her expenses. Uh, and, for, and, and again... That's what motivates Stephanie. That's what drives her, mm-hmm. um, the people behind her back home. And also, you know, her strength trainer, uh, Ernie Ball, he does all her strength training with Danko's All-American back home here. Three days a week, religiously, he works with her. And then you've got, you know, the skills training out west where she travels or wherever, you know, that may take her uh, to compete. A lot of people don't realize that when these athletes are selected to compete in these uh, world stage games like the Olympics, the World Cup, right. etc., they're responsible for their own way. There's, there's a yeah. responsibility there. And, and people are... are I think still surprised to learn that, you know, the athlete, the family carries that financial weight. It is, and I'm going to be honest with you, without our community, and uh, we actually created an organization for Stephanie called the SJPF Inc. It's the Stephanie Jalen Paralympic Fund, and she has a, a website. You can go on stephaniejalen.org to follow her and get information because there's so many followers and supporters you know, we keep them informed um, through the website, and we had to create this organization to be in it with a with a board um, to be able to cr- uh, create fundraising and keep everything um, in proper order. Um, 
you know, you're right. A lot of people don't realize the extent involved. The time, you know, you put into it is one thing, but the financial responsibility is another thing. And without the fundraising in her community, she would not be where she's at today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we heard early on, you know, when we first got into all of this, that she has to pay her way. And the only way to do that is to raise the money, because I certainly can't, our family certainly would not be able to come up with the funding um, to pay for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's, it's, I don't understand why, you know, able-bodied Olympians are funded and, um, you know, they're taken care of financially and then the Paralympians are not, because they are, they compete at the same level. They um, work, if not harder, because of their condition. Um, I don't understand that that aspect of it all, but we did what we had to do. We're all very proud. Of, we all stand behind her. We're very proud of how far she's taken this, and um, we'll continue to stand behind her all the way. When did Stephanie get into skiing, When and where does this interest come from? Stephanie was nine years old, and I received a letter in the mail um, inviting her to a ski camp locally. Uh, the name of the adaptive training organization is the PA Center for Adaptive Sports. I believe they're out of Philadelphia. And they come up to the Poconos in Pennsylvania to a ski resort called Camelback. And every single weekend, uh, these coaches dedicate themselves to come up here and they form these camps with these physically challenged children and teenagers and they teach them how to ski. The whole purpose of the camp is for disabled children to meet other disabled children. Um, And that's the whole purpose of it. And, of course, they encourage them to learn how to ski to teach them. You know, know, they can continue to live a full life and um, enjoy life. And I didn't realize any of this when I first took Stephanie to this camp. My whole purpose was, hey, Stephanie, you're going to meet other children just like you. In our area where we live in Luzerne County, there's not a whole lot of um, children that I know of with physically, um, that are physically challenged. Mm-hmm. So disabled, yeah, Stephanie, she's funny with how I choose my words, so I have to be careful sometimes. Yeah, um, but, and, you know, you'll talk to her yourself and, and, and you'll see where I'm coming from. But um, the whole purpose, again, was for us to go up there and her and meet other physically challenged children, and she was excited about it. And I also told her at the time, they're going to teach you how to skate. Now, she was only nine years old, and, of course, she didn't know what that meant. And uh, But I have to tell you, it was a battle the entire drive up there because I got, you want to know why I got a call a couple of days before the actual camp and the coaches called me. They were concerned. They're like, Mrs. Gallon, we don't know how to dress Stephanie for um, skiing. We don't know what type of adaptive equipment to fit her with because we've never had um, an individual with a missing arm and a missing leg on the same side. And they're like, she may, they're telling me she may have to, sit down in a, in a monoscape. And, of course, I'm asking, well, what is that? And they said, well, it's this gadget that she sits down in, and, and she, she actually controls it with her waist, and she skis down the mountain. Of course, we'll tether her and teach her how and so on and so forth. I'm like, okay. 
So I'm thinking nothing of it, and I'm telling Stephanie, oh, by the way, Stephanie, they're not sure how to gear you up, so they may have to put you in a sit-down seat. And she says to me, absolutely not. <laughs> if I can't ski on my one leg, I'm not skiing at all. But she's being a stubborn child, as, you know, sometimes they can be. And I said to her, you know what, I'm not going to sit here and debate this with you. When you get to the camp, I'll let the coaches handle it. She goes, that's fine. So we get there, and they get ready to start gearing her up with the other children, and they walk over to her, and she looks up at them, and she says to them, can I ski on my one leg? And they said, sure, absolutely. And I just kind of like my jaw hit the ground. I'm like, I just started with this child for an hour. (laughs) So that was kind of funny. But what's nice about it is they didn't question her. Mm -hmm. They followed her lead. They followed her gut. They didn't say, you know what, Stephanie, no, this is what we think is best for you. They followed her lead. So that was the best part of the camp. And then as I'm standing there watching them gear her up and put this one ski boot on her, they have one outrigger. She's got her helmet on. Mind you, she's only nine years old. All the other kids are making their way out onto the snow. And here's Stephanie in the building by herself because everybody else is already outside. And she's trying to hop along the room. And the boot was one. The boot was quite heavy. And so at her age, she had a hard time Mm -hmm. carrying that weight across the room. And my first thought is, Debbie, what are you doing? I'm thinking I'm going to discourage this child more than she's ever been. And I'm thinking she's going to want to go home and quit. Well, I held myself back. It took everything I had to hold myself back and not, not, you know, take her home. And I let her go. And she, she hopped up to the doors on this one boot. And just as she hopped up to the doors, I saw a snowmobile outside. And it was for her. And what they did is they came over to pick her up and take her over to the, whatever they call it, the bunny slope or whatever, to start teaching her how to ski. And I knew it. At that point, I broke down. I just heard my eyes and I realized it hit me at that moment that she's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And they're going to make sure she's going to be okay. They took her under their wings. They taught this child how to feed, and here she is today, nine years later. Wow, with two gold medals right now, right? Well, she met Mao Thompson from Colorado. Uh, Mao Thompson was a, he, she's the one who uh, pretty much took Peter Layton, put her first ski boot on her with the PA Center for Adaptive Sports, but Mao Thompson is the one who took her around the country uh, and taught her from local to national to international racing and also um, helped basically form her into who she is today. Mm. She took that child under her wing. She kept her in her at her house with her. She took her to the races. She taught her everything there was to know about ski racing and how to get to where she is today. So, uh, and then Mao's ultimate goal was to get her nominated onto the Paralympic ski team. And when Stephanie got that call almost three years ago, that was the turning leaf when Stephanie realized all of it's worth it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it paid off. Now, now, and 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 I would guess that you'd say the same thing too, Deb. It was all worth it. Looking at her now, you know, with her her new medals, with this chance to to travel to Sochi uh, for the Paralympic Games, it was worth all the sacrifices. I would imagine you you'd agree. Oh, absolutely. And the, the real turning point was when she earned the gold in the World Cup in Australia. Wow. Um, when she was in New Zealand and Australia, she was competing in New Zealand before they went to Australia, and she 
had a huge breakdown um, in New Zealand. Um, she couldn't stay up on her skis. She was falling down. She And she knew this was the turning point. This was the turning point in her life which was going to determine whether or not she was going to Sochi. She knew where she had to be. And she, she fell apart in New Zealand. And, you know, it was the hardest thing not being able to be with her to hold her. Um, she had a major breakdown. Um, but, of course, her coach back home here, Ernie Ball, her strength coach and myself, we just continue to encourage her and t- tell her, Stephanie, hold your head up. Just do the best that you can. That's all you can do. We're all very, very proud of you. No matter what the outcome is, you've taken this further than any of us can ever imagine you could. Mm-hmm. So you hold your head proud. Well, before you know it, we find out she's over in Australia carrying the American flag in the opening ceremony into across the bridge into um, Australia before the game. Before you know it, She's texting me, telling me she won her first gold medal in her, first, in her World Cup in Australia, which automatically put her in line for Sochi. <laughs> oh, bless. That, I'm telling you what, the gut-wrenching um, experiences we went through with her, although she was thousands of miles away, we felt like we were right there with her. <laughs> we, so we cried with her. We laughed with her. We felt everything she was experiencing. It was, you know, it, it's so neat. Like, everybody back here is so excited for her, and she's very excited, too. Mm-hmm. So. I know you're not, you haven't really seen any of her international competitions, but you have traveled with her when she's competed uh, domestically. And uh, the, the sports that she competes in are dangerous sports, and I'm a skier, uh, but there's no way I, I will go down a black diamond uh, slope today. Um, I've done it once. I fell really hard, and I won't do it again. <laughs> um, but And so knowing, you know, that she is competing in a very risky and high-paced um, sport, what are you thinking when you're watching her compete? Do you breathe at all until she, you know, crosses the finish line? I mean, what, what goes through your head when she's competing? First of all, I hope I can watch the entire event because, it's, again, it's gut-wrenching. I am concerned for her safety. I do have faith in all she has learned, her skills. Um, they teach them everything they need to know. I have a lot of confidence in her. So as a mom, there's that ounce of fear that something can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And you have to be realistic. Um, I've never sugarcoated Stephanie's life, and I'm not going to, you know, start now. Um, I realize the risk she does, um, her friends and family. Uh, but Stephanie has proven over and over and over again that, you know, what the skills she has learned, she's learn the hard way, and that is by getting hurt, by falling, um, and then getting back up again. She has been, I've always referred to it as um, her her strength trainer, Ernie Ball, and her skills trainer, her coaches out there with skiing, they've they've built a machine. And um, that, again, it, it, it goes back to why... I'm confident 
about myself not going out there to Russia because I don't want to be a weak link. I feel like she, traveling with the team, the people who she's closest to, who she trusts, who's taken their under their wing, her under their wing since day one, um, and Kevin Hardy, her coach, um, they've always taken good care of Stephanie, the doctors on staff, her teammates. I have to trust that she's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And if anything does go wrong, I'll have my passport ready. But at the same time, I know she's in good hands. A situation occurred when Mal Thompson was her coach before she was selected onto the U.S. National Paralympic Speed Stephanie had to have knee surgery in Vail, Colorado. And it couldn't wait. It was something that had to be done right away. I got a phone call. Um, Stephanie told me she was going into surgery. I spoke with Mal. Mal assured me that she was going to be by Stephanie's side. She was like, she was Stephanie's mother when Stephanie was away. She was by her bedside 24-7. And by the time I flew out there, got shuttled up to Vail and walked into that uh, it was the, the room after surgery when she was coming out of um, the anesthesia when she opened her eyes. I walked into the room at the same time. Mm-hmm. And there was mouth right by her side. And, you know, if that, if that wasn't in place, if I didn't have the trust that I had in the people that she travels with, she wouldn't be participating. Mm-hmm. So that's huge. That says a lot. Um, Again, being home here, I watch the Olympic Games now, and I see these guys flying down these mountains 70 to 80 miles an hour, the mountains in the downhill, which is the fastest, and I see them cutting their skis into the ice, just trying to make the turns. I couldn't even watch it. I had to turn the station. And Stephanie will be telling me, yeah, Mom, that's how it is. But, you know, from where I come from back home with all the icy mountains, you know, that's not my used to. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like she doesn't blink an eye at it. It's amazing how these athletes are trained and the skills they have, the confidence, the level of confidence. And that's what I have to go in with. Indeed. I have to be as strong as she is. Indeed. I am not going to be that weak link. Indeed. Oh, well, Deb, I, I'm sh- I know she's going to be uh, fine. I know she's going to do well. And I just thank you uh, for raising a wonderful athlete and, and for all the sacrifices you've made uh, to thank get you. her to Sochi. And thank you very much also for joining us today on World Footprint. Again, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I want to close by saying I am honored to be Stephanie's mother. Oh, bless after the break, we'll speak to Deb Jalen's daughter, Stephanie Jalen, who is being for Paralympic Team USA. I'm trying to keep a level head about it right now because I know if I'm to wrap my head around it, I'll go absolutely insane waiting to leave. So I'm just um, I'm focusing on being prepared, getting ready. There's a lot of different things I'm going to need to bring with me. Next, as World Footprints continues. I'd known about the family history, but it just wasn't talked about. My name's Lonnie. 
I had my prostate removed in May of 1995, and I'm still here. So there is life after prostate cancer. I'm living proof. One thing I would want to share with any man that thinks that he may have prostate cancer is number one, get it checked. Secondly, you have time after the diagnosis. Read, learn, go talk with your doctor and make some decisions because knowledge is power. It cannot be understated. You know. Prostate cancer is the most common cancer among men in Michigan. If you've been diagnosed, talk with your healthcare provider about your options and visit prostatecancerdecision.org today. Sponsored by the Michigan Department of Community Health, the Michigan Cancer Consortium, and the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, coming to you from the Sochi 2014 Paralympic Winter Games. We're at the preliminary ice sledge hockey match at Sheba Arena in Olympic Park between the U.S. and Italy where Nico Landros is on the ice with Team USA. We'll have a conversation with Nico later in the show, but first, skiing is a very challenging sport. It takes balance, agility, and determination. But imagine skiing down a black diamond run with only one leg and one arm. That is a physical challenge that World Cup champion Stephanie Jowan faces, but it's not one that limits her. Stephanie has the heart of a lion and a fiercely competitive spirit that will surface as she races for a gold medal in each of her Alpine events in Sochi. Stephanie, congratulations on your recent gold medal. That's, uh, I understand you just celebrated your 18th birthday, and that's one heck of a birthday present you gave yourself. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good week in Aspen. Um, I had a lot of fun. I think that was an important part because this, um, this past year, well, since the new year rolled around, I had some pretty rough trips and starts and races. I just, um, I got hurt in December, so I was in pain for a lot of them, and I finally just healed. And so for this trip to go as well as it did, it not only went over well as far as medals, but it also made me more confident, which mm-hmm. is exactly what everybody needs before they leave for the Winter Games because I was a little on the... It was all on the uneasy side for a while. Oh, I can imagine. So uh, how uh, are you excited about Sochi? I am. Um, I'm trying to keep a level head about it right now because I know if I'm to wrap my head around it, I'll go absolutely insane waiting to leave. Mm-hmm. So I'm just um, I'm focusing on being prepared, getting ready. There's a lot of different things I'm going to need to bring with me. Not only because of the climate changes that we'll go through, but just other things that we were advice to bring with us, other things to be prepared for, not only by packing and mentally and physically preparing, but I also have school to take care of. I just missed a week of midterm, so for the next two weeks I'll be making up those, plus getting ahead because I won't be home the entire month of March. Because right after Russia, a week later, we leave for Park City, Utah, for U.S. uh, Tech Nationals. I'm only home for like six days, and there's no way I'll be able to go to school all those days, so... How do you how do you do that? I mean, what is your grade point average, and and how do you kind of balance everything that you're doing? Well, what my mom said was perfect 
perfect about the balance, how I need to not only give 100% in my C career, but also as a student. Um, I can't leave or train um, without a 3.5 GPA. That isn't only um, my coach Kevin's rule, but that's also my mom's rule. If, as soon as my grades start to fail, then I can't leave and I can't train and I can't compete. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely an incentive to do well in school. But um, I right now they're uh, like a 3.7 to a 3.8, and I take all of my work and my study sheets, my books, and my laptop with me, and when I come back, I usually have a week to two weeks to make up everything. I try to get it done as quick as possible only because I, I lap around quickly and then I leave again soon after I get back. Mm-hmm. So I try to work ahead and I fall behind, work ahead and fall behind. It's, it's never just in the middle where I'm with everybody else. I'm either two steps forward or ten steps back. But, but what does that do for you, you know, when you're competing? I mean, is it is it kind of a, a relief um, you know, from the stress um, of competing, or is it a, a huge distraction sometimes? It's usually a huge distraction. Um, it's hard to balance it. Like, I've, after nine years of trying to do it, I've come up with uh, kind of a good balance. I put off a lot of my work until my travel days and my down days. When I'm competing and training, I don't open a school book only because I have a mindset and in that mindset, as long as I keep it steady, I do well. But as soon as I start jumping all over again, um, because when I study, I study. I dive into my books. I dive into my work. And I think that's why I'm able to do so well, because I commit to it. And that's why I get everything done as quick as I do. But if I just interrupt my mind and how I'm thinking and what I'm doing, and I, I'll miss dinner or I'll make dinner late or I end up being up later than I wanted to or up earlier than I wanted to, it's just... It throws me off quite a bit, so I try to do my homework when my mind allows me to do it, which is on either days off or traveling days. Or when I'm home, I usually come back on a Friday, so I have that that weekend mm-hmm. to catch up on some last-minute stuff. But a lot of it I also try to do before I leave. Any big major tests, any essays, I hand them all in before I leave. Well, uh, I, I envy your sense of discipline. <laughs> I was a bit of a slacker in high school. Oh. Please don't get me wrong. I will still choose to watch a movie with my family than study for a chemistry test every now and then. I mean, I am definitely no perfect student, but I do I do understand that what I need to get done, I need to get done. And I, I'm really good at prioritizing, I guess, because I, because I have a social life. I have a boyfriend. I have a lot of close friends I spend a lot of time with. I spend a lot of time with my family. I have good grades, and I travel. So as long as I prioritize what needs to get done, it, it's not as stressful as it sometimes can be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I understand in Sochi you have, is it four events you're you're competing in? Yeah, I'm actually, um, I was told in the very beginning, uh, I forget what I was told, maybe January, early, excuse me, early January I was told um, that if I go and that I'm qualified for two out of the five events, so I'm like, heck, I'm not going to argue with that. i got to stop to go to Russia, so... And the two events that I've chosen for, obviously, are, are my best events, GS and Slalom, especially Slalom. So um, I was re- when I was in Aspen, I asked Kevin, I'm like, whoa, do I qualify for speed? Can I can I race speed with everything but downhill? And he's like, I don't know, I'll look into it. And he kind of just dismissed me. So I'm like, don't worry, that means I can't. It was worth a shot. I let it go. And here on my birthday, I'm sitting with him at the table, and he's not even looking up at me. He goes, oh, Jalen, by the way, 
you're racing everything with downhill. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so, here I am. <laughs> do, do, do you, I mean, do you think that you're taking on a little bit too much? Because I know, you know, during the Olympics there was, um, was it Sean White, you know, who who uh, let go of one event because he felt uh, he wasn't comfortable with the course and he just wanted to focus on one event. And here you are doing four. I mean, that that's going to be physically and mentally taxing. I know one of Sean White's reasons was, well, yeah, he was a specialty in the event that he did. Another reason he pulled out of the slope style was because he saw the people get hurt. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that was a bad decision on his part at all. Um, maybe he could have done it, or maybe he couldn't have. Only he knows. Sean White only knows Sean White, just like how I only know me. But um, I have a feeling that he made the decision based off of um, how his body felt and how he felt. That's exactly what Kevin told me, that I'm going to have to decide. Because although I'm qualified and I have the opportunity to race in all four events, if there's a day where... God forbid it snows. It's probably not going to snow, but however, the snow can be very soft. It could be very dangerous, and the light can be bad. He said that he'll pull me out of a Super G or out of a Super Combined so I don't get hurt for my specialty event. Mm -hmm. So it still is possible that I don't race the speed, but the opportunity was presented as, I mean, geez, I will take it every little bit of it that I could. And another thing, um, I was a little worried only doing two events because, as you think, it would be more stressful with the more events. But um, physically, it's not a problem. I've raced six, seven consecutive days before. This will only be four. So physically, it's not going to weaken me. Okay. And mentally, it will only make me stronger because I talked to Kevin and I told him, I'm like, if I am to get on this mountain and ski there, race mind and race setting for the first time and try to win that first race, that's going to be very difficult, at least if I have these other two races, which although aren't my specialty, are still a race. Mm-hmm. I will have that mindset. I will be more comfortable. I will understand the routine. And the jitters will be gone. Like the first race of any five-race event series is terrifying because it's like, oh, my God, I just forgot everything I just learned. Mm-hmm. But then once you get back into it, you're fine. It's like you snap back into it, and the rest of the week is just easy going. So I'm really glad that I have the opportunity to get that mindset, and the more downtime you have as far as sitting and waiting, the more insane you'll go because the anticipation will drive you crazy, and then you're just going to get bored. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll, we'll be there for two weeks and 24 hours each day trying to find something to do to preoccupy yourself. Well, that will be more mentally taxing than actually skiing, something that I'm used to and something that I'm good at. Mm-hmm. So the opportunity to race is the best. Yeah. Take take me through a little bit of your, your training uh, regimen, because when you're not racing, you're training. We try to ski all year round. Usually our only break is between April to July. So that's like three, sometimes maybe four months that we get to relax. And that's usually the longest time we have off, because then we start training right back up in July in Mount Hood, Oregon. We train there for two weeks. We come back home. There's another camp in August. Uh, end of August into September, or depends, it fluctuates, in Austria. Mm-hmm. We to Austria. There's two weeks of just training there. And then after that starts the races in November and December. So there's, oh, oh, in November there's also a Vail training camp for two weeks. You have six weeks, a little bit spread out, that you can train. And then 
ski-wise. And then the rest is racing all throughout the year. But when I'm not on the actual mountain skiing, I'm training either back here at home or with the team in the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs or San Diego. But um, I hear back at home at Danko's, um, Ernie, my mom mentioned his name, he was a savior for me. When I first started skiing, I met him, and he said, do you have a strength trainer? I said, no. I said, for the truth, we can't afford one. And he was like, well, come to the gym on Saturday, and we'll figure it out. And ever since then, every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, I've trained with him at no cost. Mm-hmm. Wow. For nine years, yes. For nine years. And it's that was a gift that I, oh my goodness, it's probably one of the biggest. Because without that training, that's absolutely 110% necessary for any skier, especially one with such uneven limbs as I have. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to balance it out. So. Mm-hmm. so you have actually, with some of your competitions, I mean, you have competed internationally. You've traveled to some really wonderful places you just met. Uh, mentioned Austria and New Zealand before that. You'll you'll be in Russia soon. Do you get a chance to see these places when you when you go and, and compete? Yeah, um, we for example the New Zealand trip that my mom was talking about, the one where I had that pretty big breakdown. It was actually good that I had it as early as I did in the season. It was just a rough trip altogether, but that was a World Cup series, first in New Zealand, then in Australia. We went straight from New Zealand, and then we competed once again in Australia. But these places, um, we were in, oh, goodness, Queenstown, New Zealand. Uh, like We were in four different places in New Zealand. We drove through like inland halfway and then back to the coast. And then in Australia, we landed in Sydney drove to Threadville, which is like six hours inland, so we saw all different kinds of terrain and climate of Australia. Mm-hmm. And then we went back to Sydney before we fly out and spent two days there, just roaming Sydney. It was absolutely amazing. We, we visited the Opera House, the Harbor, the Harbor Bridge. Uh, we went to a zoo. We spent time on the beach. Um, we just roamed the cities. We got trains everywhere. We saw thousands of kangaroos <laughs> and uh, we, we got like a sneak peek into a koala den like we had like a special tour because one of my teammates actually knows somebody from Australia mm-hmm. we got like we had this an amazing amazing experience and I have to say that was probably before Russia one of my most incredible and memorable trips was to New Zealand Australia we did so much we were at famous eateries um, famous towns we met famous people it was absolutely incredible. And we were at Sydney at the best time because I believe if it was fall, it was going to spring. It was turning into their spring. So we watched everything bloom in Sydney for a week. Oh, that sounds gorgeous. And, you know, and that's the thing about travel is that when you experience new things like that, new people, you you develop mm-hmm. such a, a wonderful appreciation for, oh, you know, oh, yes other people and other places and and just really you know it's transformative and it sounds like that was for you and it's it's hard for somebody um because i lived in a small town my entire life here so when i started traveling i was very narrow-minded so to say like i didn't know what a different country would look like i expected it to be something so much more different or something so much like vast, and although it was absolutely incredible, I learned that 
although we're people of thousands of different cultures and we come from all different places, we are still all the same. People are people, and um, we all have faces, we all have eyes and ears, and we all think, and we all have thoughts and ideas, and that was the greatest thing for me, is to share thoughts and ideas with people who I thought would be way more foreign than they were, mm-hmm. but in reality, they were just other people, which was really cool to see. You just gave me goose pimples, Stephanie, because <laughs> that, that's that's our that's one of our 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 missions is really just to share that we all share a common humanity. And so I would yeah. love for you to be a World Footprints brand ambassador because you just, I mean, <laughs> you know who we are already without <laughs> even yeah. And this you really learn you really learn to appreciate people because a lot of times, like I said, in a small town, it's easy to be very narrow-minded and not accept foreign people or foreign cultures, but really at the same time, I wish America was more diverse in the cultures and picked up more of the the different types of, I don't the celebrations even, and the different things that people in other countries do and share. Mm-hmm. And um, just everything. I wish it mingled more, but unfortunately it doesn't. But I was, I'm extremely fortunate and thankful to be able to experience what I have. In Germany and in Austria, I saw we were, it was a small town off of this huge glacier mountain. And this little town was this little cubbyhole of houses and surrounded by cows. And we saw how the people of Austria, and it wasn't a tourist town. I mean, a lot of different people went there, but they, it wasn't meant for tourism. It was just the people who lived there. And we got to see how they moved about their everyday lives and what they did. And we'd see the women come in at 5 o'clock in the morning carrying um, baskets of fresh eggs and the milk that was just milk from the cows and we hear the cows come out and all the big trucks shipping all the things and then they'd have a siesta which I never really realized but that was a break between like noon and three. <laughs> yeah. So they have their meal and sleep. <laughs> yeah and I mean that's something that um, not every kid knows you know what I mean like I okay we knew that um, people from Mexico and Spain do that because we, we learn it in Spanish class but I didn't realize how many people do that? So just simple things like that I was able to learn, and it was really cool. Mm. Well, I am so pleased that we got a chance to, to talk today. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you in Sochi, and certainly we'll be rooting you on. Just look for uh, look for the long brown ponytail and the World Footprints cap on. <laughs> okay. That would be me, and the girl with the camera. That would be me. Uh, oh, yes, please find me. <laughs> Stephanie, thank you so much. Stephanie Jellin is a first-time Paralympian who we're going to have the opportunity to discuss in Sochi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. As we continue our coverage from Sochi, we'll introduce you to Nico Landeros, who helped the USA Paralympic team bring home the gold from Vancouver and hopes to have a repeat gold medal performance in Sochi. Our, our goal is always to be in the gold medal game, and uh, that's all we can really ask for. Um, you know, sh- sure, we want to win a gold medal, but we got to get there somehow, so we want to win every game before that and, and then you know we got to show up for the for the show and next as world footprints continues a man is found guilty of trafficking brazilian women to the uk to make them work as prostitutes the head of an international trafficking network is jailed in romania and three people are sent to prison in america for operating a mexican baby smuggling ring 
Human traffickers trick and deceive their victims, but by joining forces we can bring these criminals to justice. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, ungift.org. Poaching is a major threat to our country's wildlife. I'm Tom Barry, and I'm an actor reaching out with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, which works with private landowners to protect wildlife, preserve natural habitats, and create permanent sanctuaries. To learn more, call 800-729-SAVE or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. The USA Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Nico Landeros is a champion. As a member of the 2014 U.S. Paralympic sled hockey team, he is a veteran to the Paralympic Games. He helped the U.S. Paralympic sled hockey team earn a gold medal in the 2010 Vancouver Games. And as a member of the Colorado Avalanche, he has been a driving force to help the Avalanche win multiple championships. Before the puck is dropped, however, Nico is spending some time with us here on World Footprints. Welcome, Nico, and thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pleasure. So in, in high school, you were a varsity wrestler, uh, you were a football player, and you know before the, the tragic accident that changed your life, tell us what happened. Um, me and my uh, best friend Tyler Karen, we were uh, changing a flat tire of a car after a school dance, and um, it was really cold out. It was around 11:30, I think, and uh, we were changing a flat tire, and uh, someone was driving behind us, going around 45, 48 miles an hour, and uh, she didn't see us and hit us, and uh, the car did a 360, and we had the doors open. And uh, it severed one of our limbs right away, and one of them was on by some tendons and, you know, such. And then, uh, you know, luckily it was cold out. It was around negative 5, I think, and it helped our arteries stay small. Um, and we lost a ton of blood, but less, uh, you know, not enough to kill us. So we got Flight for Life uh, to Denver Health, and uh, we were there for about a month. We actually had a really quick recovery and um, uh, we had some people from the Colorado team come and and talk to us, and uh, they you know they told us about sled hockey. And uh, I played hockey when I was younger, mm-hmm. and and I just love the sport, so I uh, I tried it out. I didn't like it my first uh, my first year, but you know I only tried it once, and it was about three months after my accident, so I was pretty fresh. Um, I didn't I couldn't use my left arm because it broke. So it was kind of frustrating, so I gave it, you know, I took a break. Six months later, I tried again, and uh, it was probably the best decision I ever made in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and your friend Tyler, who you were traveling with that, that night, who was also yep. injured, is also on the 2014 uh, U.S. hockey team, correct? Yep, yep. He made the team about two years ago now, I think. Wow. 2011. 
Wow, good for you guys. I mean, it's very yeah, it's very inspiring. You know, a lot of people kind of give up uh, when adversity hits. They give up for lesser things, and you guys had a life-changing uh, situation. How did you, what inspired you to continue digging deep? Was it just your competitive spirit as athletes or your family foundation? I mean, how did you keep going? Um, I think we were just really athletic before, um, and my, our family, you know, my family really helped me out a ton, um, you know, with, you know, when I have problems and if I'm feeling down, I can call my mom and my dad and my sister and, you know, they just, they're a real good, uh, positive outlook and everything and, uh, you know, they went through a lot of stuff, you know, seeing me in the hospital dying and, you know, they, they went through a lot of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. I haven't seen my family ever that much in my life and uh you know i think they're really strong people and i think that really helped me help me stay motivated and you know the good energy from everyone in colorado i mean the community we probably got more community support than i've ever seen in my life you know every, everyone came out and helped support us and and knew we could do it and uh and just being an athlete before the accident really helped a lot i mean we wouldn't be here right now if we weren't in shape we're both training for wrestling cutting weight um, you know, we had barely any body fat when we first, when we got hit. Um, you know, the doctor said if we weren't in such good shape, we'd be dead right now. And I mean, wow. pretty much because of sports is why we're here. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I, I think that helps get over adversity and, and sports really help, you know, take out aggression on, you don't take it out on anyone, but it helps channel the energy to something else other than thinking about negative things. And, uh, you know, pretty much everything that I've done now has been positive, and I have a lot of positive energy and feedback and uh, a ton of support from my family and Tyler's family and him as well. I mean, we both help each other get through things. You know, when we're having a hard day, we can talk about it, and uh, that's just – that really helps out a ton, you know, when when you go through something tragic and uh, sure. especially losing your limbs. Sure, sure. Now, you know, you talked a little bit about um, your passports, uh, you know, the football, the wrestling, just the shape you guys were in. Have you, um, I mean, you're playing, those are three separate sports, you know, football, wrestling, and and, and, and hockey, but what types of skill sets uh, are, are transfer between those sports? Are you using things that you learned as a football player, as a wrestler, um, with uh, the hockey? Yep. I mean, uh, I mean, I played hockey pretty much till I was 15 years old, 16 actually. So, I mean, just knowing the game really helped me out uh, on the ice. That's that's one of the reasons I made the team in 2010. I was pretty. We got hurt in 07. I really started getting into hockey in 08-09 in sled hockey and uh and you know i I had a lot of support and and just wrestling you know your mindsets you know it's one-on-one in wrestling it's not a team sport so you train your butt off and try to you have to cut weight which is like probably one of the hardest things for someone to do uh you can't eat you gotta gotta watch what you drink Mm -hmm. how much you drink uh you gotta watch your weight until you weigh in and then you can eat all you want, but, I mean, then you got to starve yourself for the next week, you know, and uh, it's just part of the sport, and, uh, you know, I know you're not supposed to do that kind of stuff, but, I mean, it's kind of hard to, you know, you got to keep your energy up, and, I mean, wrestling's probably the hardest sport I ever 
have done training-wise, um, you know, we, we get up at 5 in the morning and run, go to school at 6.30, and after school at 3.30, we'd have a practice till 5.30, 6 o'clock, then we'd go home and pass out and do it again the next day, and, you know, mm-hmm. when you don't eat that much, you don't have too much energy, and uh, that really gave, you know, that's kind of my drive, uh, that really helped me stay motivated, and, and in this sport, you know, you got to work out, um, and the wrestling really helped me with the working out part and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, I mean, football, it's, you know, sort of the same. Okay. And, you know, I think a lot of people would be uh, might be surprised to hear that, you know, how fast-moving sled hockey is and how yeah. aggressive uh, it, it is. And, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I can uh, tell just by looking at your stats that um, – you uh, have always been a fierce competitor, and uh, you know, looking at the 2011-2012 season when you racked up 28 minutes of uh, penalty points or uh, ten, 28 penalty minutes, um, you uh, <laughs> that was a particularly aggressive season for you that that year. Yep, yep. I mean, we had a uh, we had some tough games, and you can't uh, can't let anyone. Uh, you know, hockey's a whole different sport. So, I mean, you can't fight internationally, but, I mean, in the NHL, they fight. It changes momentum. And, I mean, if someone touches your goalie, it's, it's important to send the message that uh, you, you can't do that, you know. you got to protect your uh, teammates and your goalie, and sometimes you get a penalty or two, and <laughs> that season, that's what happened. Oh, dear. Um, you know, we don't really hear a lot about sled hockey um, here, I know Colorado has, with the Avalanche, your team, um, you know, they, they have a very uh, popular and active program, but are you starting to see uh, statewide or national sled hockey teams pop up more and more? Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot more teams. I mean, when I first started, um, there, there was not that many teams. Now we have Midwest League, we have an East Coast League, there's a Canadian League. I mean, it's starting to grow a lot bigger. You know, when we go to Canada, we're always there on TSN. Um, so, I mean, it's it's getting big. I'm hoping it gets even bigger in the U.S. Um, that has to be a great sport. And, uh, you know, every, everyone, it's, you know, people go home nice and try it. It's uh, probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. I think it's a lot easier to skate uh, standing up and with a, one stick than skating with two sticks and trying to control a puck. Mm-hmm. Um but, I mean, I'm not, you know, hockey's hard and in general. you got to skate, period, and a lot of people can't do that. So, I mean, it's just, you know, probably one of the toughest things that I learned how to do. And, I mean, now that I know how to play, it's a, it's a great time. I was a blast. So, you've also um, medaled in the, some of the International Paralympic Committee Ice Sledge World uh, Championships. Yep. Now, ice sledging is it's it's no different than sled hockey, is it, or or is it? Is it just two? It's know, a, it's the same thing. That's just what Canadians call it. Gotcha. Sledge okay. hockey, and we call it sled hockey. Okay, okay. So so you were on the winning um, team in Vancouver in 2010, and and we were there, and we're sorry we we missed seeing you. Um, yep. Tell us about the team this year. Uh, do you uh, do you think you guys have what it takes? You have a good team to go back and reclaim the gold. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think we have the talent, and uh, I think everyone is working their butts off. And I think, you know, we're 
we're definitely capable of get, winning another gold. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, our, our goal is always to be in the gold medal game, and uh, that's all we can really ask for. Um, you know, sure, we want to win a gold medal, but we got to get there somehow. So we want to win every game before that, and, and then, you know, we got to show up for the, for the show. And um, I think this team is better than the one in Vancouver. Hmm. Um, we're a lot younger, mm-hmm. which... Uh, which kind of, you know, it's, it, it can either both ways. But, I mean, um, I think skill-wise, we're the number one in the world. Um, but, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't you know, everyone's got to have chemistry. we got to play together as a team. And, I mean, um, that's, that's probably the hardest part, you know. And we have, uh, I, th- I think we're, we're all getting there right now. Um, I can't say we're going to win a gold medal because uh, that wouldn't be the right thing to say. But uh, we can still... You know, we're hoping to be in that game, and, uh, you know, hopefully it, it is in our favor. But um, right now we're just all working our butts off, and uh, we're hoping we can we can win some games and be in that gold medal game and uh, be a contender. Well, we look forward to, to seeing you, um, certainly in the, in the final rounds. Um, now, this is your second Paralympic Games. Will we see you in 2018? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to. Um, it, it all depends on how my body, uh, how my body, st- if I can stay in shape. Which, um, you know, I, th- I think we'll be, we'll probably be going, uh, you know, unless some younger guys come up and take our spot. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm planning on playing as long as I can and trying to stay in shape as long as I can because, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great thing to be in part of the Paralympics and uh, just being part of the U.S. Olympic Committee really is. is an incredible thing. We're just living at the U.S. We're, we're at the U.S. Training Center right now, living there for a month, and I mean, it's pretty, pretty intense, and it's it's a great time. You know, you get the best food you can think of eating, uh, the best medical staff. I mean, we, we have it all right now, and it, it's great. I mean, everyone's in top notch condition, so uh, I think we're pretty. Uh, everyone's getting ready to go, and mm-hmm. hopefully play some good hockey. What, what, what are you most excited about uh, Sochi, the Sochi games? Uh, you know, I'm just excited to see, you know, some of the guys that haven't gone to the games. You know, I think it's, uh, I remember my first time, it was a crazy, you know, probably the coolest experience I've ever been to. Uh, opening ceremonies are sweet. You know, the first game is just like, kind of opens your eyes. You know, you're in the world-class stage. There's a lot of people watching, uh, you know, NBC will be there, we'll be aired live, so you have family and friends watching. Um, and, I mean, just, just being there, the environment, the energy, I mean, just everyone, everyone's just excited to be there, you know, and uh, it really, it really, you're focused and that's all you think about is hockey and just, you want to win that gold medal and um, I'm really excited just to be, I mean, we're already, we're already getting really excited, but once you get there, it's a whole different world. Sure, sure. Well, we'll be there too. We'll be rooting you on. We'll- you know, go Team USA, and uh, we look forward to Absolutely. seeing you. Yeah, we're pretty excited. Um, looking forward to seeing you guys, and hopefully we can do some good, play some good hockey and uh, take home the gold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Nico. Well, best of luck. All right, and thanks a lot. Thank you so much for joining us during our Paralympic coverage in Sochi. Join us at worldfootprints.com as we continue to share Paralympic highlights and breaking news. Also, follow us on your favorite social network at World Footprints. From Sochi, Russia, 
We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. And Zuzidanya, until next time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. Banff National Park. Natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio. Because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps. There are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. This has been a presentation of World Footprints Media, all rights reserved.